name is Jamie. If we haven't met, uh, for those of you who are joining us, whether it be in this auditorium right now or via live stream as we do live stream this early service uh, every Sunday, have been for uh, quite some time now. Uh, I'm one of the, the guys on staff, one of the pastors of our church who gets to to do most of the preaching. Uh, the preaching responsibilities are, are mine to bear, and it's a joy and privilege this morning. It's no different in that regard as we prepare to spend another Sunday morning exploring the, the scriptures together. And so uh, if you have a Bible, I just invite you to go ahead and open up to Psalm 132. That's where we're gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the passages of scripture and various quotes that'll come up this morning will be on the screen behind me, so feel free to to track and just kind of uh, follow along with, with what's up there on the giant screen as we work our way through this morning's passage of Scripture. Uh, let me go ahead and pray for us. This is one of the lengthier Psalms, and, and we'll dive in and get to work. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to minister to the weakness of our understanding. We ask you to illumine to us your, your word, divine revelation that we've been given so that we're not left with human speculation. We ask that you would help us to walk away with a, a deeper grasp of divine truth, that you would awaken our hearts to the wonder of, of who you are and, and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Would you convict us of, of indwelling sin by your spirit? Would you encourage us to faith where we need it? Would you move Holy Spirit in power, attending the preaching of your word even now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you're, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, uh, or maybe it's been a little while since you've uh, been in the midst of our church gathered, uh, we're, we're in the home stretch right now of a sermon series that's intended to carry us all the way through the fall, right up to the season of Advent, which is only a few weeks away as of now. A series entitled Songs of Ascent, which is the study of essentially a 15-song album within the book of Psalms, the hymn book of the Old Testament. It's an album that, as I've said from the start, the Israelites made their playlist in traveling to Jerusalem several times a year for the major Jewish feasts and festivals, composed of, of quite the diverse lyrical expression, capturing something of the fullness of the human condition and experience, so that within this one single album, you have song, songs of ascent, or excuse me, songs of lament, uh, reminding us that we're not home yet, inviting us to, to come to the end of ourselves and the promises of this broken world. You have songs of providence, inspiring confidence in God's commitment to sustaining his people, a God who never sleeps nor slumbers on us. You have songs of worship, calling us to laugh and sing in response to God's covenant promises in Christ. You have songs of thanksgiving, inviting us to proclaim God's faithfulness and answering the cries of his covenant people for mercy. You have songs of confidence, reminding us that true lasting security is found in God and God alone, a God who surrounds his people with his sheltering presence. You have songs of wisdom, declaring that without God's blessing, every human endeavor is absolutely meaningless, that all of our labors are in vain unless our reliance is upon the Lord and not on ourselves. And you have songs of trust, inviting us to know the peace and tranquility that comes, going back to last week, in calming and quieting our souls in God's presence. This morning, this morning's psalm, Psalm 132, is a, it's a royal psalm. It's the longest of the songs of ascent. 
as you can probably clearly and easily see in your Bible, going back to Psalm 120 and tracking through 134, where we'll finish this series. It's a, it's a song that some believe to have been written by, by Solomon. After all, we do see similar language in Solomon's dedication of the temple. Others believe it was written by one of Solomon's descendants prior to the downfall of the Israelite monarchy. And still others believe it's it's a representative voice of the Israelites having returned from Babylonian exile. Regardless of authorship, it's a song seeking the presence and blessing of the Lord on the basis of God's covenant relationship with David, declaring David's ceaseless commitment to establishing a dwelling place for the Lord and the Lord's promise to manifest his presence through the Davidic dynasty. If you pick up in verses one through 10, and I'm gonna break this down into two sections because most scholars and commentators do that. It's a fairly lengthy psalm in this series of psalms, and yet it breaks down fairly nicely and neatly into verses one through 10, David's prayer, his oath, and then verses 11 through 18, God's promise, God's oath. And so looking at verses one through 10, all of that up on the screen behind me, the psalmist says, "'Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, "'all the hardships he endured.'" how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Verse six, behold, we heard of it, that is the Ark of the Covenant in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant, David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. First half of, of this psalm, it's a, it's a royal prayer, basically. As the psalmist cries out to the Lord, as he looks back on one of the great moments of redemptive history, David's transporting of the, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in establishing a, a more permanent house of worship. Historically speaking, if you go back, you can read about this in the Old Testament. The, the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box covered in gold, which housed the Ten Commandments. Constructed in Moses' day under his leadership and supervision, Exodus chapter 25, symbolizing the, the presence of God among his people. At the Ark, traveled with the, the Israelites, we're told, during their wilderness wandering days and eventually came to rest in the obscure village of Kiriath-Jerim in Ephrathah, verse six, in the fields of Ja'ar. That is after the, the Philistines captured it for a season only to find that it caused more harm than good in their possession. As the story goes, David eventually took possession of the ark and brought it to Jerusalem in the wake of having taken over that city where it was eventually given a home in Solomon's temple. A little bit of a history lesson there. To be sure, it wasn't just some political move on David's part, but rather a zealousness for the promises of God, a zealousness for the presence of God, a zealousness for God's people to have access to the Lord, a place where God might make his presence known, a place where God might display his grace and forgiveness. A commitment, verse one, that didn't come without its sacrifices on David's part, including his refusal to sleep until it was accomplished. Right, we know that, that the ark was eventually, in fact, brought to Mount Zion, which 
It involved, if you go back and read the story, a, a little undignified leaping, dancing, and shouting on David's part, the, the likes of which even the most charismatic of worshipers probably would feel a little uncomfortable with. Yet a full jazz band, so to speak, complete with tambourines and cymbals and, and trumpets, really just this, this beautiful picture of worship, a, a reminder of what God's presence among his people is meant to awaken in our hearts. Here in, in Psalm 132, the psalmist recalls those days. He remembers those days and he cries out to God to essentially repeat something of the past for the sake of his servant David, with whom he had established covenant promises, asking God, verse eight, to, to arise, which is what God's people would pray when the ark was being moved, that he would make his presence known among his people, that, that the priests, verse nine, the, the spiritual leaders would be godly in their mediatorial role between God and, and his people, that the saints, verse nine, would be celebratory, happy, in God's great promises fulfilled as they reveled in his covenant love for them. Going back a, a few weeks ago to Psalm 126, there the psalmist declares, Psalm 126 verses one and two, he says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. That that's the, that's the appropriate response of those who have tasted of the Lord's restorative mercy. A God who, who transforms dreamers into singers, as I said a few weeks back. You know what happened when, when Solomon prayed the, the words of verses eight through 10 at that temple dedication, when the temple was finally built? Fire came down from heaven and the glory of the Lord filled that temple and the people fell on their faces in worship. I would argue that verses eight through 10, it's a gloriously dangerous prayer to pray if we truly long for revival as the church. But wait, as if this was some sort of infomercial, this actually gets better, this pilgrim song, if you go on to read, as it moves from David's resolve to see God's promises fulfilled to God's resolve to see God's promises fulfilled. In verses 11 through 18, we're told, the Lord, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, God says, I will set on your throne, David, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. Verse 14, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Whereas the, the first part of the Psalm speaks of David's resolve and oath, here the Psalmist speaks of God's resolve and oath. As God reminds his people that that their hope is not in the nostalgia of, of the past, but rather in the greater fulfillment of God's promises to come. 
As God declares over and over and over again in these verses, I will, I will, I will. Those words meant to to bring us assurance that, that God will surely fulfill all of his covenant promises. Right, many of us Americans this week stared at a giant map of the United States and waited for it to turn different colors, wondering when there would be some sort of conclusiveness, regardless of political leanings, just longing for some sort of certainty, some sort of assurance, some sort of answer to to it all. Well, the reality is that, that there is no uncertainty with respect to the decision desk of God. It's already been decided. It's already been determined. We can read about it in scripture, all of the promises that are to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to guess it. We don't have to wait for the map to change colors, so to speak. The scriptures will not change. That God will most surely answer that gloriously dangerous prayer that Solomon prayed that finds its way into the lyrics of this song. On the basis of promises that he made to David so very long ago, which were greater than any promise that David could have ever made to God, going back to the first 10 verses. You can read about that promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, very famous passage of scripture, where the Lord says, To David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. We know as the story goes that yes, David brought the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem, but it wasn't David who got the the honor and privilege of building the temple in the city of Jerusalem. It's actually Solomon who established that more uh, permanent dwelling for the ark of God's presence in the building of that Jerusalem temple. But it was God who promised to build a greater house, a house for David, a forever kingdom, a forever throne with abundant provisions and food for the poor, verse 15 with godly spiritual leaders and happy saints, verse 16. His enemy shamed and his radiant crown secure, verse 17. If, and here are the covenant stipulations, if only David's sons would live in covenant faithfulness, verse 12. This Psalm, we know later on in Israel's history, it was actually sung in the time of exile in faith that, that God would raise up a new, a new David the covenant having been broken, the, the monarchy having been brought to ruins, God having removed his presence from Jerusalem, Ezekiel 10, the ark having disappeared in the Babylonian destruction of the temple, reminding us that, that this psalm must look beyond the, the historical David and the historical Zion, beyond the ark of the covenant to a greater presence of God a song that it should come as no surprise to hear around this church that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the greater David, the Messiah, the the king in David's line, 
so that in Jesus, you have this glorious tension that's resolved in terms of whether it's Yahweh or David who's king. In Jesus, you have the eternal son of God and the incarnate son of David colliding in one person, Jesus Christ. You also have the office of the the priest and the king colliding in him as well. We don't have time to to go there. We surely have in the past and we'll do it again. He's he's the one, Jesus, who, who came to establish his forever reign over his people and secure the ultimate fulfillment of God's Davidic promises. His kingdom, one of strength, one of permanence, one of majesty, signified, verses 17 and 18, by the horn and the lamp and the crown. I mean, Jesus himself says in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus says, I'm the root of David. I'm the alpha. Having come before David, I'm the source of his royalty. And I'm the descendant of David. I'm the omega. I'm the promised king who came to crush the serpent's head. I'm the bright morning star. That that language pointing back to a prophecy in the book of Numbers of one who would conquer all of his enemies and exercise dominion as the true king. In other words, simply put, Jesus is saying in Revelation 22, I was king, I am king, and I will be king. Eternal sovereign of the universe, never to be unseated the king in the lineage of David through whom God has established his eternal forever throne, providing the stability of an eternal forever king in in an eternal forever kingdom of perfect justice and equity. As Luke chapter one tells us, as we come upon the season of Advent, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. There it is. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The forever king of a forever kingdom, Jesus Christ. To take the the imagery of Psalm 132, he's the one who tabernacled among us, John 114. Bringing, bringing not the ark-adorned presence, but rather the flesh-clothed presence of God into this world. He's the only uh, sinless, covenant-keeping son of David, verse 12, who lived the life that we could never live, who, think about this, perfectly fulfilled every command written on the tablets of, so- of stone that sat in the Ark of the Covenant. He, he's the one who who took our shame upon himself in bearing our sins in his body on the tree, as Peter declares, that that we, verse 16, might be robed in his righteousness, clothed with salvation, that we might might know the joy of citizenship in the, the heavenly Jerusalem, God's forever Zion, the eternal home. If you read the book of Revelation of myriads of angels, the eternal home of God's redeemed, the resting place, verse 14, of his forever presence. Yet another famous passage of scripture, Revelation 21, verses two and three, the apostle John says, and I I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, that the dwelling place of God is with man, his presence dwelling among his people. John says, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The place of God's eternal rule and reign where he, he will receive the worship and praise that he so richly deserves. A place where, where the saints will forever dance and shout for joy, maybe even a little undignified like David. I sure hope so. A place where all shall receive justice, verse 15, in a land that will forever prosper. A place where God's enemies will, will know no triumph, verse 18, cast out and, and forever clothed in shame. A place where, again, verse 18, the heavenly crown will forever shine as it adorns the head of heaven's king, Jesus Christ himself. Like the psalmist, coming back to verses eight through 10, yes, we longingly look for that day, crying out like the apostle John, closing out the Bible, Revelation 22, amen, come Lord Jesus. But we also, verses eight through 10, we're, we're invited to cry out for a taste of these things now like Solomon, pleading with, with the Lord to, to stir and to move, to, to awaken us to the wonder of the presence of God in our hearts by his indwelling spirit, to bring us into greater submission to the ruling and reigning lordship of Jesus in our lives, inviting him to give us a, a glimpse of true mercy and justice, true flourishing in this world. Not only and solely on the basis of God's dealings with David, but rather on the basis of David's son, Jesus. That, that God has given us every reason to laugh and sing in response to what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So that my, my prayer for us is that, that we would all soak in the glorious grace of God that's ours in Christ. That we would, that we would truly embody all that it means to be the spirit-filled temple of the Lord, the, the dwelling place of his intimate presence. That his lavish grace would, would compel us to spend our lives for his glory, like David, to make sacrifices, resources, sleep, whatever it is, that, that he might receive the glory that he so richly deserves as we submit to him as citizens of his heavenly kingdom, both now inaugurated and to be consummated someday. In a moment, we, we, get to, we get to bow our knee to King Jesus, the fulfillment of Psalm 132. We get to do that in, in a couple of different ways that we do each and every week as we gather in spaces like these. For one, through our song, we get to sing to the King, to lift up our voices to him, to join in in that eternal song that myriads of angels are singing right now to participate in the collective voice of God, to bring something of that, that march to Jerusalem that David and the Israelites brought before the, the Lord, to get a little undignified, to sing, to dance. I'm about to dance with my kids and they don't even know what's coming a few minutes from now because we're gonna get a little rowdy like David in our seats. God's worthy of that, right? 
We also get an opportunity to, to worship him through the receiving of the Lord's Supper, through communion. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. If you missed it on the way in the door, uh, you're welcome to go back during the last couple of songs and grab uh, one of the cups on the back table. We take the bread representing Jesus's broken body and dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. It's a beautiful opportunity as you prepare to receive of those elements, which by the way, you're welcome to do at any point during these last two songs. We wanna leave space for the Holy Spirit to move in that regard. But as you prepare to receive of those elements, just encourage you to sit with Psalm 132 open before you and to look at, at the wonder of the promises of God that would not be ours without Jesus Christ and that are ours because of Jesus.